Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Curious Conversations with Tully and Sarah. We sit down and chat with business owners, entrepreneurs, and some of the best conversation starters. This is a podcast about real life lessons and people doing cool shit. This week's episode, we sit down and chat with leading women's fertility specialist and hormone healer, Nat Gringoudis. Nat runs the Pagoda Tree Clinic in Melbourne and is also the best-selling author and wellness podcaster. I also see Nat a couple of times a week and boy, has she changed my period. We chat about hormones, how you know when they're out of whack, and just a little clue, acne, sleep and weight all have to do with hormones. And Nat also talks about how to balance your hormones. Of course, we talk about periods and fertility and what is and isn't normal. And the big question for my mom, should I freeze my eggs? Please like, subscribe and pass on to all your friends. Enjoy. All right. What's up? What's up? What's up? Today, we are sitting with the beautiful Nat. Hi. How are you? I've been so excited to do this podcast because I obviously see you. You treat me. No pressure. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) I'm going to be sitting here and you guys are going to be using all these health words. I'm going to have fucking no idea. But I'm super excited. How are you? I'm very – no, I'm not, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm happy to be here with you. And, yeah, I'm really honoured to get to talk with you guys. Thank you. I know it's a bit weird at the moment. I'm trying to change my language. I feel like I'm really negative with what's going on. So changing my language, I liked that answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think we just got to be real and we have to just switch it around like you know patients are saying oh my god I'm gonna get sick and I'm like what happens if that exposure that you had to someone boosted your immune system and I sound like an idiot but you know (laughs) we've got to be able to turn it around somehow so you you're into Chinese medicine how did you get into Chinese medicine (laughs) yep so uh it's a hilarious story I enrolled in what I thought was naturopathy and kind of arrived on my first day at and it wasn't my first degree I'd already been studying so I've arrived and then realised it wasn't actually naturopathy. Oh, no it was way. Chinese medicine. <laughs> oh, my God, I would have freaked out. Was your first well, degree? Was herbal medicine, right? So it was under the banner of herbal yeah. medicine. Um, my first degree was health sciences. So oh, okay. I'd already done yeah. biosciences. Is that what you have done? No. I did exercise. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you yeah. kind of still do the same. Like Anyway, so you learn the, the fundamentals and the basics mm-hmm. and the you know anatomy and physiology. And so I'd already been studying for three years. And then, um, yeah, I, it was pretty funny because I was like, oh, well, I guess that's what we're doing. We're going with it. And so I did because also um, it was very different studying back then and I went on to study even more after that. So I went to uni for ten and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds like I'm really smart but it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you are just, smart. No, it was actually I just loved being a professional student and the holidays were like the best part that you would look forward to. It's like why would I want to work yeah. when I get half a year off <laughs> Yeah, on holidays every year? Like why would I want to do that? But anyway. Eventually I had to grow up and start um, working and so opened my own clinic at the time. There was no other option when I first started. I've been in the industry for 16 years. So you just actually opened your own clinic and 
hope for the best and you just used to have to wing it. Like there was no one else doing that. There was no one else to mentor me or so I made a lot of mistakes but I also had a lot of wins and really quickly got very busy because I started treating women's health and there was no one doing it at the time. Mm -hmm. So Chinese medicine was quite underground at the time. No one really talked about it. No one really appreciated it. In fact, I think when I spoke to people and would say, oh, I'm a, a herbalist, they'd think I had a cauldron in the backyard yeah. I was like baking up some sort of spell. Um, but we got really busy really quickly and it was just because I firstly flatly refused to treat women's health, to be honest. I'm like, do you really want to sit there all day, every day, listening to women's problems about their hormones? Like yeah. that's not fun. That's actually like every single patient wants to jump off a bridge. So, you know, eventually I was like, okay, they're not getting answers. How can I help them? And I really started to to look at the symptoms we were seeing in the clinic and realised that they were actually a product of our modern environment, yet science hadn't caught up to saying they were yet. Yeah. So women wanted answers. They couldn't work out why they had ovulation pain or fertility issues or whatever it might be. And it really was a product of their stress levels, but Mm. no one was talking about it. So I just started asking for permission to practice, like really pretend that I knew what I was doing and actually (laughs) practice on these patients. I'd be like, don't really know, but here's what I think. But they were happy because there was someone that was advocating for them that was actually getting getting a result. And just because medicine didn't... um, have that answer, I think we started to realise that there was more than one way to do something Mm -hmm. and it was just about your way. There's no right or wrong. It's like if it resonates with you and you get results, then heck, do whatever that is. So what's the difference between someone walking into a Western medicine clinic versus someone coming in to you who practices Chinese medicine? Right. So I think over the years, things have developed to a point where I think we've realised that we are able to do this together. But, yeah. you know, that's taken a long time. And to answer your question, Western medicine is very much about looking at results and, well, it should be about looking at results and getting a diagnosis, but even that gets missed a lot. It's your GP's your first point of call. Yeah. If you go for something like painful periods or acne or or whatever it might be, you're very often given hormonal contraceptives mm-hmm. to fix a problem. It's yeah. one thing to use it for uh, contraception and you have an informed choice in doing that. Mm. But it's another thing to use it to try and fix something that it actually can't fix. So I guess where we come from is I always want to get to the core of why is this happening to you? Not just, oh, you have PCOS or you have endo or you have whatever. It's actually, well, why, why is your body doing that? Because if you can imagine that you've got enough boxes ticked that, that those symptoms actually start to present themselves. Mm-hmm. If we could take off or untick some of those boxes, then you'll find that the symptoms will become less and less. Does that mean you don't have PCOS anymore or you don't have endo? No, because genetically that's what you've been yeah. dealt. But your signs aren't there, your symptoms aren't there, therefore it's not problematic to you. Mm-hmm. So we see it as I need to be cured, I need to be healed. No, you can't heal your genes. You can only change the way that they behave. And if you can make them behave properly, then you're not going to have problems. But if they're misbehaving, they're generally responding to your environment in some way, whether it's your external environment, your internal environment or your mental environment. They'll respond to those things. So, you know, we always want to find a solution and an answer and a reason. And nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, we can generally find what that is. And I think that's the difference. It's not just a diagnosis and here's your pill packet. It's actually, okay, well, we need to look at the bigger picture. Why is your body doing this? What can we do to start to help it move in the right direction? And that's how we get results. Yeah. So 
I think also, not, and I'm not bad-mouthing bad your GP, but your GP has maybe five to ten minutes with you, whereas mm. as an, a new patient I'll dedicate quite a fair yeah, amount of time yeah. to sit there and talk to you and I want you to understand mm. what's actually going on and then layer that with Chinese medicine we don't just look at PCOS and that's it. We look at how you present with PCOS. So you might be lean PCOS, you might be tall and thin and the only thing that you have is missing periods as opposed to your next-door neighbour who might be true PCOS, overweight, acne, facial hair, missing periods. So we can't treat those two people the same because they're not the same. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's what I love. I mean, you mentioned about your GP and going in for like five to ten minutes. That's a, that's one of the reasons why I turned to Chinese medicine because I felt like every time I was going to the doctor, I felt like I wasn't being heard, and I also got embarrassed and I didn't want to talk anymore because I thought I was getting judged. And that's what I love about what you do is you go in and exactly right, you just look at everything, talk, and it's not intimidating. I think also the gap with your GP is they're not a, a gynecologist. Yeah. And for us as women, we're often going to our GP for an area of expertise that they actually don't have yeah. a great understanding for. And even if you have test results, for example, mm. your GP will read what the lab has put on the test results. Mm. And so long as you're within a range, then you're fine. You should be fine. But the reality is you don't ever want to be high or low. You want to be optimal in any mm. range of anything. And if someone's not really looking at what the optimal ranges are and where you fit and your signs and symptoms, then you're not really going to be treating it properly anyway. Yeah. So it's not your GP's fault, but that's our first point of call when very often we probably should be seeing a gynecologist at that point that will be able to do the right testing and know how to read your tests more than your GP as well. So everybody's got a place. It's just about working in that together. And, you know, I feel very privileged to be able to work with lots of doctors who totally get how important the collective mm. is when treating women and not just thinking that there's one way to do something. Yeah. Do you think there's more people going down this kind of Chinese medicine route? Definitely. I yeah. think people feel you can't know how you're going to respond to any synthetic hormones mm. medication until you take it yeah and so many women will take it and say and and let's also remember I don't see the women that are fist pumping the air going this pill's the best thing I ever did. and <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying there aren't women out there that that is the case for um but you can't know until you take it. And mm. then by the time you kind of have taken it for long enough, you forget how you did feel. And so many women report when they actually stop taking the pill, for example, how they're like, I didn't even actually know what it was to feel like me anymore. Like, oh, oh my goodness, oh, I'm sad. back. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. Really synthetic sad. hormones running through your body. Right. I never thought yeah. of it like that. That's And true. like I said, yeah. it's one thing to make a, a decision to use it as contraception, even mm. the marina, anything we're talking about, Implanon, mm -hmm. any of the synthetic contraceptions, um, if you have the information and you can do certain things to support your body, not just that, any medication, you should be working mm. out how you can best allow your body to operate and we just don't do that. Yeah. Your doctor doesn't say, here's the pill, but I'm going to give you some probiotics and a multivitamin, some fish oil, and I really recommend that you be on these so that we can keep your health in, you know, as much balance as possible. That doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to that day where it does because yeah. I think that there's it's a very different conversation that we'll be having, but I see the long-term impacts of hormonal contraceptives on women and that can be disastrous and it's because the core of the problem was never actually addressed. It yeah. was just pushed to the side, take this so you don't have to have pain, take this so you don't have to bleed heavily. And, again, also that can be fine for a short amount of time, I would say, to patients, you don't need to suffer. Mm. You don't need to be a hero and be like, I'm just going to take this head mm. on and every month I'm going to hate myself for one week but the rest of the time 
you know, I'll, I'll get on with it. Yeah. You don't need to do that. You can still fix your body whilst you're taking any type of medicine. Um, but you, I think you that can. Be, if you're on the pill, you can To see a degree, like, yeah. absolutely. You know, if you had have asked me this in my, <laughs> you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have said no. Nah. Yeah. But I've seen enough women now to say absolutely. And we really? see women that maybe have things like breakthrough bleeding or um, horrible mood swings or headaches. You really shouldn't be on the pill if you have headaches. But certain things that um, are presenting for them and I'll say, all right, well, I'll try and fix you. And if we can't, then we need to have the conversation about coming off the pill. pill. But let's see what we can do whilst you're on the pill. And a lot of women come to me because they want to transition off the pill. And so how can we do that as well? And it's not that you can't just stop taking it. I mean, for some women, you need to speak to your doctor, but there's no way to come off the pill as such. It's just you stop taking the pill. But if you could fix what, or to a degree, use the information that you had before you started taking it and actually fix that side of Mm. things, when you come off, the transition will be much better in theory, because you've actually started to make you know, some inroads on whatever might be the issue, gut health, liver, thyroid, whatever that might be. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think is the number one, like for obviously you have a clinic, what is the number one like problem that women come in for? Is it period pain? Is it infertility? Ooh. Is it you know what, initially, mood swings? Yeah, <laughs> right. Initially it was infertility. Like we really, I made a name for myself. In fact, we got very busy very quickly and I really had no idea what I was doing. That That's was a long so sad time that ago. so many women are like infertile. Right. Well, yeah. it's different. It has changed. And, you know, this is really why my latest book, Beautiful You, I wrote that because I, one day I was like, we need to fix this before it's broken. Like, why aren't we having the conversation as a 16 year old when your mum freaks out because your period's gone missing, but actually it's kind of normal for your period to be irregular for a period of time when you are, you know, in your late teens, but we're not talking about this. So the average mother goes, oh my goodness, freak out. I had a, a, a young girl the other week, 13 years old, lots of bleeding going on outside of the time it was supposed to. And the doctor didn't actually know what to do or why Mm -hmm. it was happening. And I can tell you why it's happening. Her, her hormones aren't mature enough and balanced enough, and that's normal at that age, but they wanted to put her on the pill. Now, if you're not getting to the core of the problem at 13, how are you going to be fertile when you're 26 yeah, or 36? True, yeah. But also what I want to say, and really the most important thing I think women can understand is the age that you start to take the pill, when you stop taking it, you are as hormone, hormonally mature as you were when you started I've heard you say taking it. Oh, yeah. Right? So if you're 16... And then you're 36 all of a sudden, you're you know, back, 20 yeah. years yeah. flash by and you're yeah. like, I'm ready to have kids. And your period's You're going are, backwards. Correct. You have to give it time. Yeah. You can't just expect to be fertile then. Because, I heard you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is the conversations that I think as women we really need to be having so that we can plan mm. for our, our future fertility, not just at the time where we go, oh, you know what, met someone, ready to settle down, this the is pill. the next thing to do, go off the pill, and then, uh-oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's something Tully and I have both spoken about. Like we both had similar situations with our periods. We came off the pill and didn't have our periods for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember last year I was having the conversation, I was like, I don't actually know if I am fertile. How do you know if you are fertile? Well, look, if you're having a regular period yeah. and it's a true mm. proper period, which means... What's a proper period? I yeah, think a lot so, of people would be confused with what Well, a here's the thing, it changes is. as well. And so we are fixated on that too. On the moment's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you see Nat. Nat said it's because of what's going on energetically. Absolutely. It totally <laughs> is. Like it so is. Everyone's periods are screwed right yeah. now, I have to say. Like everyone is either 
100 times better or 100 times mm. worse, but mm. the majority are actually 100 times worse. Yeah. It's the people that love being hermits, that don't need social interaction, that are like living in their homes and mm. not going anywhere. Their periods are better, but that's not me. Really? That's not me. I need the people. I need, yeah. like, I need the people. Um, yeah, so what's a normal so period? So a normal period is give or take five days, Yeah. Um, especially in our 20s and early 30s. As we get older and into our 30s, our periods will change and they'll often become a bit shorter and a bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Not mm. always, but most commonly, and that's what they should really be doing mm. and then you know then they change again and they start to get heavier and they become sporadic oh, they? before we go through menopause yeah it's it's interesting because we get our period and once they're sort of semi-regular or regular and that's you know anything from 26 to 34 days is considered mm-hmm. regular and it doesn't have to be the same every month it could be 26 one month and 29 the next and still considered regular um once they're established and regular we kind of just go oh well these are my menstruating years and then these are my menopausal years. But that's mm-hmm. actually not really, I mean, that's how it works, but you still have phases within your menstrual years. Yeah. Sort of every seven years or so you'll find that things sort of shift a little bit. Um, so five-day bleed, I mean, no, normal period should be pain-free, really fairly effortless. Yep, it'll be heavier the first few days. But when I say heavy, really not needing to change a pad or tampon more than every four hours. Yeah. Um, you might feel a little bit tired or a bit kind of, like you need to sort of distance yourself from people the day <laughs> yeah. before. That's normal yeah. too, you know. We, we, us as women, we're really good at pushing on. We're like, no, I've got to keep going. It's like, well, actually, you don't actually have to, have to yeah. keep going. It's okay to have a couple of days, you know, that you feel like you want to go to bed early or not work out or sit on the couch. You have permission to do that. So that would be a normal period. I think the problem is there are so many common symptoms that we Mm. see that we consider to be normal so period pain for example is extremely common but it doesn't have to be there Mm. it's not normal any pain in your body I went on on another podcast and I said to the it was Kerwin Ray do you know Kerwin Ray he's hilarious well anyway he's a male obviously and we were talking about this and I'm like mate if you had a pain in the end of your penis every (laughs) month truly yeah would you just be like, oh, here we go again. I've got that penis pain again. the end of the world for a guy. Right. Oh, <laughs> if your testicles hurt all the yeah. time, right? But for us, it's just normal. we just go, oh, here we are. And I mm. remember my mum saying to me, oh, I know it's just not fair. Mm. And that was her answer. I'm sorry, it's not fair. It's like, well, actually, any pain in your body you should explore because mm-hmm. it's a sign of inflammation. Fundamentally, it's mm-hmm. a sign of inflammation. So why is that happening for you in certain areas of your body? And not everybody gets period pain. You might have... Um, headaches or you might get back pain or you might have digestive issues at that time but it's still a sign your body's trying to tell you that something isn't quite right and it's usually far easier to fix than you think but again we're conditioned to think the worst and work Mm -hmm. backwards or like worst case scenario I've got this I've got that and then actually oh no I've just been a bit stressed and haven't looked after myself this month. I was going to say what are some of the things people could do if they have those slight symptoms to try and fix them themselves without trying mm. to go see someone. Or try and take Advil or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about some symptoms first mm. yeah. just so people maybe can resonate. So anything from, you know, heavy periods, period pain, missing periods is still something that people So missing would... periods like won't have it for a month and then you get it the next month. Would or that be some a people period? just don't have a period at all or they oh, yeah. get it like every, you know, That was me for months. like three years. Well, I'll tell you, I was anorexic when I was a teenager. I lost my period from when I, I got, went off the pill at 15, you'll die. I got my period back when I was 20. 
26. Yeah, And right. I refused to go on the pill. But how good is it that you got it back? Yeah, and mm. I actually went to, do you know Stephen Clavy? Mm. I went to Stephen Clavy because someone, I didn't know you at the time, and I went to, sorry. <laughs> it's okay, you were. And no, because I'd heard someone, one of my friends was very, um, she was trying to have kids and she's a bit older and she started seeing him and he got her period back in like two months. Mm-hmm. She's like, you need to go see him. And then I went back to him and no shit, I got my period in like two months. And I was like, and that's when I was like, okay, Chinese medicine and stuff, it's a thing and it works. Right. And I've always been quite in tune with my body and always looked at like alternative like health and stuff. But um, it's amazing and it works. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Really, well, I can advocate that for yeah. that. Yeah. Like, let's do some more. Ovulation pain, acne, um, headaches, uh, mood swings, PMS, uh, cravings, um, wanting to kill someone. <laughs> um, there's just the, the list goes yeah. on, like heavy bleeding, known problems like PCOS or endo or fibroids or there's just so many symptoms that you mm. can tie back to your hormones really at the end of the day in your menstrual cycles. Now I forget the question. It, how do you know? If oh, how do you treat it? Um, so I think, you know, here's the thing. I think we're not going to sit here and go, okay, well, you need to eat properly. Or, yeah, hello, yeah. we know that, right? So nutritionally, yes, we do need to be mindful and that means reducing inflammatory foods. So the sugar, gluten and dairy, it doesn't mean mm. don't have them. Mm. It just means let's keep them on the lower consumption list because they're difficult to digest, mm. they can be problematic and for a lot of people cause issues. Um, fat and protein at every meal, our hormones are made of fat and protein. So if we're not having fat and protein, like if we're not eating mm. enough or we're not eating, then that's obviously you're not getting vitamins and minerals and nutrients to for the backbone of what your hormones require. So food we know, sleep we know, movement we know, we kind of know those things and they all need, they're all different for everybody. Mm. That's the hard part too is working out what you need, but you can still start with those if you're not doing them. And if you're not sleeping properly, well, then we need to look at why you're not sleeping mm-hmm. properly. Um, so those things I think are really important. But can I tell you the number one thing mm-hmm. that I think we get wrong is our emotional health. And we just, we think that we can soldier on and we don't understand that. I don't know why, but I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And I still don't have a period or I still don't have this. Or It's, it's the elephant in the room, but it's such a big factor in your health and your hormones. And if there is issues, known trauma, or maybe even unknown trauma, that has to be explored mm. before you can actually often get past your issues with your hormones yeah. and your and your menstrual cycles. When you say emotions, like trauma and stuff like that, do you mean maybe like past trauma, even from when you were a tri- child, stress? Is that, an, is that the emotion? Like what do you mean? Absolutely. All of these things equate to some type of stress. Yeah. So when I talked about ticking boxes before, mm-hmm. it's really different boxes of stress. Stress isn't just I'm late to a meeting or yeah. a deadline or, you know, stress is how you're eating. Stress is how you're thinking. Stress yeah. is what's your liver doing. Is you detoxifying properly? Stress can be I live in an environment that isn't conducive with my health, whether mm-hmm. it's air conditioning or mould or EMFs or and we all respond differently. That's the hard part. Yeah. You can't know until you actually start to explore what some of these things are, but it's looking at a whole lot of, of factors and working out which ones to start with first. Yeah. So that's why if we tick the boxes of nutrition and sleep and movement and the no-brainers, um, then we can 
that's when I can actually do some work with people because if they come to me and they're not doing those things, I've got to get them to start there anyway. Yeah. So then once we've done that, then we can go down and we can look a bit further. But emotional health is is absolutely huge and it could be something that happened to you when you were four and you don't even remember mm. and that's difficult because it's somewhere in your subconscious but it's, it's there all the time and I'm quite wildly fascinated with psychotherapy. I think it's one of the best things we could be doing. Mm. My mum's a psychotherapist. I love her. <laughs> I you guys love would actually her. get along really well. But truly. Like some of the stuff that I, I see a psychotherapist regularly and just some of the stuff that comes out of your head, you're like, what the mm. hell? What the hell? My mum makes me do these like genograms and why I feel. A whatogram? Like <laughs> it's a trait that's passed down from <laughs> generations and I'm just like, oh, God, okay. Like I need. I, yeah, and, it's not a TikTok dance, Helen. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. like, literally that's what I was like. Hmm. <laughs> but for me, once I've. I dived into my mental health and looking at like myself and patterns of my family. Mm. I think that's when actually my health and my mental health just started to flourish. Like I became more comfortable in who I was and like, it's just wild. It really yeah. is wild what we store in there as well. And yep. then our belief or perception of whatever yeah. that might be. So, you know, I'm happy to share and I think it's nice to share because this is how we all all grow as yep. humans. Um but I've had I've carried and a lot of people will resonate with this I think this belief in the back of my head up until really recently that I was at my very core a bad person mm. like I'd done things that have upset people or hurt people or and we're all human and we yeah. all do that yeah. and it's someone's reaction to what you've done but it was definitely this this feeling that I from time to time fundamentally fundamentally I was like you are actually a really shit human like Mm. you're really anyway Mm. point is that I was saying it to my psychotherapist and it was actually the look on her face that I was like oh actually (laughs) but we'd done a whole heap of other work as well Mm. and it was just this one moment in time and she did some other stuff on me as well and I'm like actually I'm not a bad person and in since that time being able to let go because of her being able to change that thought process and that wiring in my brain that it's really actually quite empowering when you start to think about yourself as a good person, not yeah. a bad person. How, yeah. like, and, and anyone hearing that would look and go, how could you actually think that? I get that. I realise that I've been able to do things that a lot of people would, you know, hope to do or dream to do mm. and I feel very blessed for all of that. And But actually we're all human and we've all got stuff and that's where I think it's, it's nice to share about I that. So. But, you know, the funny part is watching my mum, parent or grandparent, my children... I can start to see why I have some of these. Yeah, these, yeah we talk yeah, about that so all the time, yeah. She chases the kids around and she wouldn't even know she's doing it, but she'll be like, oh, you're bad. You're so <laughs> bad. And I'm like, no wonder I think I'm bad. Yeah, no, honestly. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that yeah. wasn't her intention, nor what she no, means. She yeah. means cheeky. But it's how you interpret Correct. it. Yeah. Correct. And so it's just... It's actually lovely to watch your par- your parents' grandparent to learn so much about why you are the way you mm, are. Yeah. And I feel very sad. I was having a conversation with a patient and we're talking about this and and um, she didn't have children and is past having children. Yeah. And I was like, I, I feel really sad sharing that now because obviously you don't get to see that. Yeah. But it's so reinforcing that yeah. once you do get to have children, you get this another layer of, oh, that's why I'm like I am. And not that that's actually even an excuse, mm. really. It's just an explanation that you can then explore to become and move past that and become greater and better and bigger at, you know, being you, which yeah. I think is really important. Yeah. So would you recommend to your clients coming here who may be having troubles having kids or any fertility problems that they 
do Chinese medicine and some kind of therapy at the same time? I do a lot of this work and I sit with, and I'm not a psychotherapist, yeah. but over the years I've, I, mean, I have done some training actually. I just have always felt like I really sucked at it. I was mm. like, <laughs> people get stuck in there. I'm like, come on, hurry up, yeah. get past the block. Like, what do you mean? So I, I, I would say as a practitioner, my strength is definitely communication. Yeah. I will sit with someone and I laugh all the time. I say that the practitioners, are, my other pracs are 100 times better hands-on, acupuncture, treatments, but you'll come to me to talk to me. Like mm-hmm. I'll sit there with you and I love being that kind of detective and working out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can't get someone where they need to go, then I will 100% refer on because not everybody needs the same level of um Therapy, obviously, sometimes just talking to some people mm. can can be enough to change what you're thinking. Yeah. But if I can't get someone where they need to go, absolutely, I'll suggest that. And if I'm not getting results really quickly because I'm very results-driven, I, like, I want to see changes every step of the way, especially for some of the serious sort of side of, of patients that we see, then I will refer very quickly on and yeah. we'll share care. So um, or if that's better, then go for it. Like if whatever a patient needs, I'm not going to tie you down and make you keep coming mm-hmm. back if we're not going in the direction that we need to. But it is a big, big part of it. And I'm actually really passionate again about teaching young women more than ever, not just women that want to have a baby, but how can you set your health up no matter where you're at, not just yeah. when you're ready to have kids. Fertility is not about babies it's about being healthy yeah at any step of the way speaking of young children this just came to my head I've got young nieces and they speak of friends at school who like might be 10 years old 11 who are getting their periods and it's young that's so why is that happening like why so the average age when I got my period was 13 and I was 13 I was 13 13, the average age now is around 11 whoa why has it changed is it because well you answer (laughs) (laughs) why do you think I don't know I was gonna say is it because of like what's in processed foods and stuff like I don't know Mm. is it it's I mean obviously there's a couple of factors we're saying I am seeing a lot of precocious puberty so kids going through puberty even earlier where it's actually not accepted as being normal What's, what would that what, age how, would that mm, be like? Five, six, oh. seven. They won't get a period at that point, but they'll start to show. Like pubic hair and BO is usually no. the first thing that you'll start to see and then you'll explore that. Oh, my and, God, that makes me sad because so they're still so young. Right. What's interesting is that what instigates all of this in your life happening is when your adrenals are actually kind of turned on, you know, oh, in response yeah, to yeah, the, your yeah, world yeah. that instigates a cascade of events happening for your periods to start essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um what I've happened to be noticing, and I don't have any solid evidence of this other than a little bit of research, but anecdotally, what I'm seeing is these kids have been exposed to some type of high trauma, whether it was in utero or early on in their their life, yeah. where it's kind of just fired everything up. Far out. Now, that's not the only reason it can happen because you should really explore it because it can be other issues Um growths, tumours, there can be other things that can fire up the pituitary and the the adrenals. Um, But so often I'm seeing patients be told there's not too much we can do, we don't really want to use steroids, so best just write it out. Yes, they're going to get their period early, but there's no harm in that really long term. No, I don't know that there's harm as such, but do you really want to be eight with your period? No, no. and also like, you know you're what, not kids are like... emotionally mature enough no. to have a period at eight. So I think the issues aren't so much physical; they're more mental and emotional, which is exactly what we're talking yeah. about. Um, so there's one reason I think is high stress, mm-hmm. uh, definitely, and that is across the board. Even mm. 
us getting our periods at 11, but we spoke about stress a minute ago being lots of different things. Yeah. So I think what you're talking about is environmental factors, mm. chemicals in our body products, our cleaning products, our water, um, plastics, yeah. heating in plastic containers, all of these things mimic, chemicals can mimic hormones, especially estrogen in our body and fire things up as well. So we just want to be making sure we are putting our best foot forward, I think, with kids and just really watching and understanding fundamentally what's supposed to happen. This is a conversation, it's very interesting because I think it's actually our responsibility as women to be able to educate our nieces and our Mm. nephews and our loved ones and whoever asks really um, and our children, um, uh, really educate them from the minute that they start to ask questions about their body. Mm-hmm. I think this is what we missed out on. We asked yeah. questions yeah, and we true. got fed information of like either go and ask your father mm. or uh, the stork delivered yeah. you on the front step or uh, the doctor put you in mummy's tummy, and which is not necessarily completely untrue but it's kind of not really using the best of the opportunity uh-huh. to say to our kids, hey, actually, you know, you can speak to kids factually and they yeah, actually don't yeah. care less. You're you good can, at that with your daughter. I've heard you to do well, it. It's amazing. I'm like, that's the mum that I want to be. <laughs> I wish that I had started it earlier with Livy. I yeah. really, you know, I guess I've been more interested in this area in the last five years. She's 12, so she was seven, I guess, when she started asking questions. Oh, earlier than that. But point is, I guess, yes, it's been a bit of an evolution. But I really think that we can do so much justice mm. to having free conversations. And it's not about, you don't need to go off and explain what you did on <laughs> Saturday night, but it, it, it's just about the facts. Yeah. It's like, and I keep ask, I keep wanting her to ask me more and she's quite young at mind. So she just doesn't. And I, <laughs> So I'll say things like, so how does the egg get, like, I've got <laughs> eggs, dad's got sperm, but how do they get together? She's like, they just swim, mum. Oh, and I'm like, kind of yeah, true. But what, through yeah. the air? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but we can still have the conversation yeah. of, you know, dad has this, mum has this, we've got to get together and that's how an embryo is made. I spoke to her when she was really young about, I didn't give it a word, a period, but I would say things like an egg comes away each month. The first time I mentioned eggs, she looked at me like I had 12 yeah. dozen sitting <laughs> on each ovary. Um, but, but I said to her, an egg comes away and if the sperm doesn't fertilise that and it doesn't implant, then the lining comes away. There was no talk about bleeding or yeah. pain or anything like that. Um, what I did eventually get upset about was she's now in grade six. Last year they were pulled into a, a meeting and the teacher sat them all down and said, okay, some of you are getting your periods and that's fine, it's normal, um, we're going to give it a name, but we also want you all to understand that, you know, it's okay, it's probably going to be painful, it's not going to be great, you're going to be moody, you're going to have negative. holy crap, Liv comes home, she's Scared. like, mum, oh, yeah. we need to talk. And I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, we were talking about periods today. I go, no, she goes, one word. Period. I go, did you get your period? <laughs> she, goes, she goes, no. And I was like, yes. Yeah, I know, right? Well, not at 12, but yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, actually, she's fine now. I think any time would be good. But yeah. point is, um, yeah, so I said to her, well, oh, you're talking about it with your friends. She goes, no. And I'm like, oh, gosh, where's this going? I'm like, with who? She's like, the teachers pulled us in and they told us all these things about how bad it was going to be. And, Mum, I don't really oh, want my period no. if it's going to be so bad. And I'm like, Honey, do you not actually know what I do for work? Like mm-hmm. this, this won't be bad. Yeah. I'll make sure it's not. But there's a whole generation out there that are fearing Fear. the hell out of getting their period. And 
first of all, if it is bad, let's fix it. But secondly, we kind of have to embrace it because we're we're sort of stuck with it for a really long time. I cried when I got my first period. Did you? Yeah. I was happy because a lot of my friends had got theirs before me and I felt like a bit of an outcast. Yes. So when I got mine, I was like, oh, yay. Yes. I I, um, was happy because I was starting year seven and I really wanted it. Yeah, high school. To start year seven. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to have that. Like I was like, I think I got it January before I started year seven. Yeah. So that was good. But yeah, so I think just it's don't you don't waste the opportunity yeah. to educate the younger generation because we didn't get it and we had to work yeah. it out. And the problem also is we still don't know. Like yeah. there's so many gaps for us that we don't know. Even beautiful use targeted at young women, but women say to me all the time when they read it, why are you marketing this to young women? This is stuff that we can all learn yeah. from. And I'm like, I know, I just forget that we all kind of can always keep learning. Yeah. Know, there's always more to learn. Isn't it crazy? Like we get up here every month, but, month, but we still don't know anything. Totally, like, but we're not even clueless. taught properly. I don't know. I went to a Catholic high school and it was literally like have sex, get pregnant, don't do it. Yeah. You know? I, I had the, a conversation with my eldest niece and she has her period and she came How old to, is she again? Uh, year eight, turning oh, yeah. 14. And I was like, she was having a sleepover. I was like, uh, I don't know. I, just, I didn't have the right advice to give her. Like, she was like, how do I use a tampon? I was like, you just put it up. Oh, my gosh. I remember my mum. <laughs> put it in the right <laughs> hole first. <laughs> <laughs> That's I what I remember when I first mom. used a tampon. I'm like. I'm not sure what hole it is. Oh, well, just it's only going to fit in one, yeah. I think. Well, actually, oh, And then I was like, I don't know if it's in the right hole, but I'm using a tampon. Yay. How like, big did you of, feel, though? Yeah, you were like, so oh, good. my gosh. It was probably hanging it halfway probably. out. <laughs> I actually remember. You know when sometimes you put a tampon? Oh, too much information. But you know when sort of, it's hard? Like you sit down you're like, oh, I don't think that's in yes. I think it was one of those ones. Right. Yeah. I think that's the 101 that everyone, that should come on the package. It should. should be like, if you can feel me, <laughs> yeah. you're in wrong. Yes, exactly. I needed that advice when I was in year seven. If people are getting their periods older is something happening on the other end good like question yes menopause are they is it happening earlier later so you mean like as teenagers if we're getting it later is there implications later or just for like our generation yes. if we got our period at a normal age will we theoretically have menopause right or are yeah, you seeing I mean, clients that are coming in and they're having menopause at an early age and like this shouldn't be happening. Oh, I have to say that a lot of women are diagnosed with early menopause that aren't actually really? going through early menopause. Really? People just don't know how to read their test results. Really? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's, you, like, so that's what, doctors? Yeah, okay. Well, what would be confusing signs yeah, yes. and symptoms that people might think they're going through early menopause but they're not? Well, I mean the symptoms can be similar like Hot flushes, for example. I get yeah. hot flushes in general <laughs> right. all the time. But that can be hormone imbalance. It doesn't mean you're going through menopause. Ah. So it's very common to be hotter the more closer to you are to getting mm-hmm. your period as progesterone kind of raises our body temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not uncommon. But missing periods can be obviously something that indicates that you might be going through menopause or we'll look at something like our, our AMH, which is – you theoretically your ovarian reserve how much you've got in the kitty still to go um we can look at that and and based on also a couple of hormones we were talking about before fsh and lh um we can look at where those numbers might be so follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone and where they are maybe an indication of where your fertility or your you know decline in fertility Mm. might be um but it's not like you are fertile yesterday and not tomorrow like it doesn't just turn off Um, like that um, so there's a lot you can do to preserve your fertility, but the best thing you can do to preserve your fertility is look after your health in general. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we need to be scared. The other thing for women is we just keep being told our clock is ticking mm-hmm. and, again, that just puts more stress on the yeah. situation that doesn't really need to be stressed about yeah. and 
I mean, we help women have babies in here late into their 40s. So it's not, yes, okay, we know that our fertility does decline Mm. as we get older and it can take a bit longer to fall pregnant, but it doesn't mean you can't fall pregnant. You just can then give yourself that information going, all right, well, I'm not ready to have kids, but maybe I land somewhere where I am ready in my Mm. 40s. I know it's going to take me a bit longer, but I also know I can do it based Mm -hmm. on the fact that I'm still fertile. Yeah. So... One other thing just to talk to, though, the later you do get your period as a teenager, um, that can also have not implications, but it can be indicative of other challenges later on. So you always want to just be exploring mm. where, am, where am I at? What is my body telling me? What does this mean? And how can I actually utilise that information to, you know, better my yeah. better my health and my body? Because it, it's not it's always possible unless you've like been chopped in half. Mm. Yeah. It's always possible to fix something. Yeah. I want to go back to about age and all that kind of stuff and like society. Like I've come into you before and said, oh my God, my mum thinks I should freeze my eggs. I looked at doing it. You're like, how old are you? I'm like 31. Anyway. And Sarah, your parents have like, oh. Sarah comes from an Italian family. She should have had about 10 kids already. <laughs> I'm under the pressure. And and it is this pressure. And I've come to you and you've said you're still so young. And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people that listen to our podcast, need to know this, that like what, we're 31, 32. Do we need to freeze our eggs? Do we need to freeze our eggs? I wrote a really good um, article on this not that long ago. And, I mean, gosh, it's very difficult. No, you don't need to freeze your eggs for starters. And that made me feel so much better when you said that. But (laughs) also the best thing you can actually be doing is looking after yourself, like I said. Mm -hmm. If you are... Drinking, smoking, partying every night of the week, not looking after yourself, not exercising, eating crap. Like, yeah, you probably should freeze your eggs if that's how you plan to live the rest of your life. And even then, that's a pretty crap guarantee Mm -hmm. because they're going to be pretty crappy eggs if you're doing all of that. You know what I mean? So the best thing you can ever do is to be the healthiest version of yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, like I said, that's not just eating the right food either. We've spoken about all the things that yeah. you can do to do that. But if you have a known condition, I guess your decision might be slightly different. Having said that, just because you have PCOS or endo doesn't mean you can't have children either. Yes. So I think removing the pressure for starters, and our parents say this to us because they want grandkids fundamentally. Yeah. That's what they're wired for next. Mine have enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just go spread the love yeah. elsewhere. I think like um, they just get worried. I'm like... Fine. I'm totally. Happy. Yeah. Off. But also, when they were your age, they probably did have. Yeah. You know, yeah. They've they've already had their kids, yeah. so to speak. So, um, they're just you know they're they're just living with what the knowledge that yeah. they know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that that's the best thing to do at that point in time. Um, you know, stimu- stimulating your body through the process of egg collection isn't something that's just should be taken lightly either. There's, you know, implications with that. There's there's challenges around that. Um, I would say, you know, maybe by the time you got to your, you know, 36, 37, that would probably, and you weren't looking like any closer to having children, that might be something that you want to do. Um, We definitely know that that for women in their sort of over 45, can, it does get much, much harder and they would be much better off and have far greater chances with a younger egg at that point mm-hmm. in time. So there isn't a right or wrong, yeah. but I think we need to remove the pressure oh, and give ourselves 100%. some space because that's actually going to be more have more of an implication on your fertility mm. than anything is the stress that you place on yourself yeah. through that process. But if you really focus on being healthy, then you, I think that that's the best thing that anyone can be doing yeah. at this point. 
Okay, I want to start talking a bit more about you. About me? Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so Sarah and I are curious, like how do you keep your hormones in check? Like your exercise routine, food, like do you limit meat? Do you like mm. what, how do you mental? Like how do you manage your hormones? One of the best things I ever did and as I got older I realised, <clears throat> excuse me, is I started fasting. So mm-hmm. um, and I don't, I'm not strict with it as such, but I would fast pretty much um, most days and that's been an absolute game changer and I know that as a young Young woman, I definitely had an interesting relationship with food. Um, it wasn't necessarily negative, although at times probably not great. But I realised I probably just ate far more than I ever needed to, yeah. and could never feel comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started looking into fasting, the only reason I actually started looking into fasting was because a patient many years ago had quite a complex uh, issue issues with her period and hadn't had a period on her own for like 16 years. It had a car accident. It was like mm, fully, wow. it was full on. And she came to me this one day and she's like, so I want my period back. And I'm like, so you've had a car accident. You've said that part of your pituitary. Wow, and you haven't had a period wow. for 16 years and you want me to get your period back. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure this is going to happen. Like, let's be honest here. Anyway. We did. We got her period back. No. One of the things she added was fasting. And so I started to get really curious about it because it was a hard no for me growing, sorry, when I was at, um, studying at a tertiary level and when I was really yeah. learning about hormones, it was like a hard no. It was like you don't do that if you want to really put your fertility forward. But anyway, I started to get curious. I started to look at the research around it and i wildly fascinated and just all the things that your body does whilst it's not digesting that are so important for your health uh-huh. became really clear. And if I looked back on the times where I thought I was depriving myself and I wasn't necessarily depriving myself, um, and I'll talk about that in a second, was the times I felt the healthiest and I had the best relationship with food, uh-huh. whereas when I was trying to eat, you know, go through phases of I needed to eat six small meals a day and then I had to eat three large meals a day and then I would be so fixated on what the next meal was, when it was coming, what time I was going to eat it. If I didn't have food in my bag, I would freak out. It would be anyway, point is that when I actually started to create some space around that, I started to have this brand new appreciation for food. My body definitely changed and I I was definitely fitter but healthier and happier and so... I just explored that and started messing around and it was actually the same time I'd done a a challenge with our local gym. Um, My husband and I have crossfitted for many years and there was a challenge going and I'm like, I'm going to add fasting. And my trainer was like, hell no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, actually. Really? Yeah, I'm like, I actually am (laughs) going (laughs) to. Nothing you say about it. (laughs) You can't can't be here all the time telling me. Anyway, the transformation was quite obvious and a lot of people online were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just, I mean, I'm working out and I'm following the challenge, but I'm fasting. And so it's just so fascinating as to how your body can transform when you work out what works for you. But when it comes to hormones, your gut is responsible for metabolising certain hormones, especially oestrogen, and if it's not doing that properly, that's going to be a problem. Obviously your gut's responsible for metabolising food and nutrients and and, um, being able to deliver that to other areas of your body. But your gut also, when it's not digesting, is, you know, shaping your immune system, replenishing your cells. We know that... um, Definitely there's research around uh, fasting and lowering cancer incidents, um, so many things for, for neural function and anyway, the list goes on, making hormones. And so especially for patients who have hormone imbalance or some type of insulin resistance, it is hands down the best thing that they really? can be doing and, and the results are tremendous. Like How I many can, hours do you fast for? Um, 
I personally try and do it 16-8, so eight hours of eating a day and 16 hours of not eating, which so is really not that hard. What time would you start eating in the morning? Sorry, I'm curious now. No, I'm like, I, Tally, I Tally, I can tell you now, you accidentally do intermitt- I? intermittently oh, fast. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> no, I want to know so, what time do you start eating in the morning? Um, I don't put a time on it. It'll depend roughly on what I've done the day before or the night before okay. when I've eaten. Yeah. So, But I know the benefits really are around 16 hours, so I'll try and – Get as close to that as possible. So say I've had dinner at 7, then I'll try and go 16 hours through the next day. Mm -hmm. But maybe I haven't. Maybe I've eaten until 9. Well, then I'll see how far I go. Um, I know that my brain is definitely sharper when I am at work and not sitting there trying to digest a meal. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I agree with that. So I flip it because once upon a time, we would have been told that that's bad, not okay, you're going to have an eating problem, like blah, blah, blah. Well, I actually find that I've worked out how to use it the other way and to be sharper at yeah. work. And then once I've kind of got my jobs done for the day and I, I'll have something to eat, usually mid-afternoon. Mm. I can. The funny thing too is you realise how much your body thrives but also that you don't have to just eat for the sake of it. So if I travel, for example, yeah. I can go a whole plane ride yeah. and some and I'm because I don't want to actually eat that crap yeah. food yeah. anyway. Yeah. You would travel well with us. We don't eat at all on the flight from Melbourne to LA. We, we treat it as our fast. Right. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. eat because same thing, you feel so sluggish and it's I rubbish. end up feeling so bloated and pain, like pain. Right. And I, yes, pain. Yeah. The pain, it's because you're sitting in the one position it's yeah. the and worst. then you kind of can't fart. It's the worst it's feeling. The worst. Yeah. So totally. I don't I I refrain from yeah. foods then. But I mean I can go a long time and not because I'm trying to be a hero starve myself, but I don't also want to eat crap, crap food, food just because yeah. it's just in front of me mm-hmm. for the sake of it. It's nice to be able to distinguish between being hungry yeah. and not being filled of Agreed. things. So Having said that, there will be certain days in my menstrual cycle I'll wake up and know, actually, I I'm need hungry. to eat something yeah. today. I'm hungry. Um, I definitely can say for patients, even those with history of, of eating disorders, they're thought for food changes in a positive way. They're not fixated yeah. on it, but they become very and, – and food just tastes different when you're ready to eat food. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of benefits to that, but I have written about it on my website quite extensively, which might benefit people that are like, oh, what's she on about? Yeah. Um, and there's different ways of doing it, but that's what I find the way that I do it and I'm not fixated on the 16 hours as mm-hmm. such. I just use it as a guide. Yeah. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. And it also depends on when I've worked out um, as to when I'll eat as well. So yep. sometimes I'll switch it up depending on when I've worked out. But it's fascinating how your body changes yeah. when you add that. So you don't el- eliminate any meats or anything like that? You eat everything? No, um, I don't eliminate anything um, anymore really, even dairy, which I don't think we should have a lot of. I yeah. still have a little bit of it. Um, I just don't really like the taste of anything else in my coffee and I have the tiniest bit in coffee but yeah. I still uh, – That's not... what I was going to ask before. Do you have coffee in the morning? Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, does she have coffee? <laughs> how much is a lot of dairy? Because I know I have dairy every morning – for breakfast and I'm obsessed with yogurt. Mm. Yogurt's a bit different because it's probiotic. Yeah, it's yeah. fermented and it's gone yeah. well, it's kind of should be anyway, and it's gone through a process and it's actually generally yeah. quite easy to digest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if we're having a massive bowl of cereal with milk and then we're having a latte and then we're having like we could okay, end up a consuming lot. a litre before yeah. we yeah. know it. And it's quite problematic for women with PCOS, especially. Okay. Yeah, so I would um, definitely, if you do have PCOS, it's probably one of the things I would reduce. Um, it's it's just that a lot of us have trouble breaking it down mm. and it's also 
potentially for cows, not humans. Yeah, so that's true. a challenge as well. But, you know, it's not to say I don't have it and yeah. I don't, you know, I actually love cheese and I yeah. love but I just don't have loads Lo- of it. Yeah. Um, I don't eliminate anything yeah. as such though, in, completely. Yeah. I'll just, you know, obviously the, if it's grown in, uh, grown in the ground, um, it's generally, or roams the ground, then it's yeah. generally something. Do you drink alcohol? I already know yes. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten through ISO without alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was something to look forward to. Yeah. It is something to look forward to, I find. But even then, you know, healthy alcohol consumption can, in Chinese medicine, I've talked about this on Instagram, and people just love the fact that I'm an advocate for red wine. Um <laughs> It can be really useful for blood moving and as a blood tonic, but obviously I'm not sitting there going, you need to chug down three bottles every night. It's it's just in moderation. Yeah. But um, there's nothing that I actually eliminate really other than maybe artificial sweeteners. I definitely steer away from them because yeah. they're pretty pretty nasty. But um, other than that, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, I want to ask this. What's three things people might not know about you? Because you're pretty like loud on social media and you talk a lot like not talk a lot but you do a lot of events and like you do podcasts so I feel like is there three things that people might not know about you oh gosh um I would really love to be in marketing would really? You? I just love marketing. Well, we've got a clothing brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. A girlfriend of mine um, was at a dinner party and someone came up to her and said, oh, I really, I understand that you're really good friends with Nat Kringudis and I really love, I'd love to do, I'd love to do what she does one day. And my girlfriend turned around and goes, what, marketing? <laughs> and the, the woman was horrified. She's like, no, but I actually do freaking love marketing. I'll get excited when we're in, on, you know, doing a sale um, at, for Obviously, I run two businesses, my brand, mm-hmm. Nat Kringudis, and the clinic, um, and they're both separate. But when we're doing stuff, we're putting stuff on sale or I get to go up and I actually write those emails because I want to, yes. Yeah. Um, we used to outsource and I'm like, I can sell it's far better. more yeah. because it's so personal and it's yeah. not about actually sales. I just get excited watching the conversions and the, I'm like, who opened that and how many people? And I, I love that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I really, really don't like the first uh, the, mm, no, it sounds hor- horrible, but I would much rather look after children as they get older than when they're younger, mm-hmm. like the early that's stage fair. and the baby I phase. Fair. I really suck at that. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for my mother-in-law, I do wonder if my children would have actually been fed because <laughs> it was like, you don't want to eat it? Fine by me. I don't really care. Yeah, yeah, Whereas she crying. would chase them around the house yeah. like, you must eat this. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, nah, that's not my thing. But I, I have to say that as they've gotten older and I get to, you know, watch them play sport and do things that – I like to do mm, yeah. it's definitely much more enjoyable and I, I probably would hand up say I probably sucked at being a mother when they were younger mm. um, because I am quite ambitious yeah um third thing mm, I don't know a third thing can I come back to this question yeah come back Sarah it's got like a quick fire thing that she loves to end this podcast is, on and then I'll come back to I want to think about what this might be oh okay um I am well this probably goes without saying but um and it Honesty and integrity are two things I take yeah. really seriously. So yeah. um, like you said, being open and honest, even if it's maybe not going to have a positive outcome is generally what I will, 100%. What I will do. So that's, I don't know if people realise that. I think that, that I think a lot of people still think it's a bit of a show sometimes and it's yeah. like, no, no, actually it's too hard to pretend. Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> yeah. You being so honest, how do you deal with some of the, do you, 
the flack you would cop on social media being so vocal. Yeah, and especially lately, I think everybody needs to just I live by your Instagrams lately because everything you say, I'm like, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> just to say Everyone needs to be kind. Yes. And, you know, it's been long enough. Like I've been, even before there was Instagram, I was still publicly doing things. Mm-hmm. So there was still, I was telling this story actually flashback. When I fell pregnant with Livy, I went into early labour and I was on bed rest mm-hmm. and I found my way onto a forum that back in the day, you know, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram or anywhere to interact with people. Forums we interact around forums, yeah. right? Well, I quickly got involved in this forum and before I knew it, like I'm in there, I've got my own section, I'm Chinese <laughs> medicine, all the people come. Like it was hilarious when I think back about it, but I learnt then, I guess, to really cop it. Yeah. And I, I just learnt to kill people with kindness. Like it was like my intentions were always good. They weren't mm. for... Uh, more followers or more people. It was just to share information. I think if you can fundamentally know why you are doing what you're doing and be strong in that, it doesn't really matter what someone says because I just look at it and go, you've just totally missed the point. That's Mm, not my mm. problem. That's your problem. Um, And that takes time. It's not like you can. I say to my mentees as well, you can't go from having two followers to 22 million followers. You would crap your pants, right? It's, It's an evolution. You get to grow with your audience. You get to grow with your people. And therefore, that becomes something that you learn to kind of nurture. Mm-hmm. And so it's all—it's how you deliver it. It's your languaging and how you communicate, but your intention behind it. And if your intention is nothing but good, then there's nothing really mm. else to say about it. It's yeah. like, well, whatevs. Um, also, you know, the people that are often the ones that like to stir the pot or be rude, or they've got no idea what they're talking no. about mm. so often. They're also very unhappy with themselves and right. they just want to And they up. would not come to you in the street and say that stuff no to way. your face. Yeah. Like you just, no human, well, most humans would, uh, wouldn't no. and or shouldn't mm. if they're, you know. So I guess um, I can giggle a bit too nowadays because I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, what else? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been doing this, I've been banging this drum for a long time now. It's not like I started yeah. last week. So that's fine, but it is. It still gets challenging at the moment, and there's. I think people's emotions are particularly heightened in amongst you know what's being in lockdown or whatever, um, and so I guess we just have to recognise that as well and mm. kind of go, no need to fire up. I know, I know yes. we're I know we're cooped up and we feel a bit crazy, but just everyone's be kind. going with yeah, yeah, we're all going through be it. Kind. Now, Tal and I wrap every episode up with this little game because we often play it, and I just love food. Sarah, it is, like, it's not a drinking game. No, no but but I wish that. Wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the red wine. Um, if your dying meal, what would it be? Entree, main, dessert. Ooh, and a cocktail. Pick oh, cocktail. Oh, cocktail. Yeah. Margarita, hands down. Yes. Best thing yes. ever. Like, but they don't make them in Australia. No, like they do. I make a mean one. Me too. Oh, my gosh. Okay, after yep, I lockdown. put jalapenos in mine. Oh, oh spicy. I, yeah. Okay, maybe we should have a little lock. Oh, after, sorry, after lockdown, um, have a little girls' night. We'll make margaritas. Yeah, there you go. Um, so margarita, yeah, definitely. Um, oysters, entree, yum, delicious. Um, ooh, main um, anything that's like slow cooked, whether it's like shanks or something that's yum. like you know been cooking for a long time. And um, dessert, I'm not really a big dessert person. I'll pick off someone else's plate if they get oh, dessert. Yeah. I'm a bit like that actually. Aren't I'll I? do a cheese platter though. <laughs> 
Yeah, the oh. cheese platter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd go to the cheese platter. Oh, yeah. If you if you have dessert, I'll just have half of yours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might be asking for a lot because I don't know. Because yeah. it's always yeah. like, do you want dessert? Mm, no. Nah. And then someone will order it. Can I have a dessert? Yeah. I'm actually going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for sitting down and having a chat. I personally learned a lot about periods. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That yeah. was good. I think I need to learn more about my own period. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.